up playing the game hot and cold, somebody would hide something, and if you got close to that object that was hidden, they'd say, oh, uh, hot, hot, hotter, oh, red hot. And if you were further away from it, they'd say, oh, cold, freezing cold. I want you to hold that idea in your mind just for a second, just for a little bit. Um, A.W. Tozier said, the most important thing about you is what you think about God. The most important thing about you is what you think about God. Now, for many of us, we get sideways with that when we try to superimpose who we are onto God. That we think God's idiosyncrasies are like ours, and God's thoughts are like ours. His, his personality is like ours. And before too long, we just kind of have a perfect version of who we are. And what we've done when we have done that is we have built an idol to ourselves. It's definitely a false image of who God is when we superimpose who we are on him. When you think about God, what does God look like? Um, if, if to you God has a frown on his face and folds his arms and give you the Schaefer look, uh, <laughs> I'd say you're cold. You know, you're, you're freezing cold. I don't think that's the picture of God at all. But if your picture of God is, is him with his arms reaching out towards you and smile lines around his eyes, I, I think you're getting warmer. If you can hear God say, well done, my daughter, well done, my son, well done, good and faithful uh, child of mine, then I think you are blazing hot. I think you are red hot because I think that's what God has. I think that's who God is. I think he, he, he loves you and he, he wants to bless you. His most ancient instinct is blessing. His default setting is blessing. His reflex is, is blessing. Now, last week, we went all the way to Genesis 1.28, and typically we think of the original sin and Genesis but what we saw is original blessing how God has has created us and then he he blessed us even before he gave us a job he he blessed us and we 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 want to know that I want you to know that God wants to bless you more than your bucket can hold he he has a blessing for you more than you can handle we're gonna look real quick in the book of first Thessalonians chapter 5 and this was a book that was written about 51 AD uh, about four years before this, the Apostle Paul had started this church in a little town called Thessalonica. And over the four-year period after Paul had went away, the church kind of went through some division, had went through a tough, a tough time. So when Paul writes this letter, First Thessalonians, he writes into a church that is having a very difficult time. And these are the words he writes. And these are some of the most... Uh, these are some of the shortest verses in Scripture, but they're fat. Uh, they, are, they are so much meat on the bone. There is so much wealth of information and knowledge. So follow along in your Bible if you have your copy of God's Word. If not, the words will be up on the screen. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. When we think of God's will, oh man, we've already, okay, um, in this verse we already see what God's will is. I think for many of us we kind of have a, a fuzzy idea of what God's will is. Most of, us thinks in, most of us think in terms of logistics when we think of God's will. Preach, what do you mean by that? We think of the who, the what, the when, the where, the why. Who's in God's will? What is God's will? When do I do God's will? Who's doing God's will? Most of us think in the logistics those types of things. We think about making the right moves at the right time, prompted by the Holy Spirit's leading. And all of those are true. And the Holy Spirit leads us step by step into what God wants us to do. But listen to me. I think God's will is a whole lot less circumstantial and a whole lot more attitudinal. In fact, 
The will of God is not some mysterious thing. We've just read a couple of verses. I can tell you right now what the will of God is for every single one of us in this room. Be joyful always, pray continually, and give thanks for everything. That's the will of God for every single one of us. Um, many of us are scared to death that we're going to miss the will of God. We're going to mistake the will of God. We're not going to uh, jump at the right time. We're not going to do the right thing whenever the will of God comes. And, and we think if we make a wrong turn or we make a mistake or, or we sin and we're kicked out of the will of God that somehow we've got to go back to the very beginning and start all over. Uh, for some of you gamers, there are some games that you reach a certain level. There is a save point. And if you lose all your lives, you can go back to that save point and build from there. There's other games where you have to go back to the very beginning of the game and you have to go through the whole thing again. Y'all, the will of God is a whole lot more like that first one. You don't have to go all the way back to the beginning and start again. You can resume right where you left off. So I don't want you to be scared of God's will. I don't want you to be apprehensive of God's will or think that it's some type of mysterious thing that only a few people get. Church, the will of God is more concerned about developing our character than solving our circumstances. Many of us are scared to death of the will of God, but church, I want you to hear me. God wants you to be where He wants you to be more than you want to be where God wants you to be. God is more concerned about you being in His will than even you are. God wants, you to make, God wants to make sure that we are in the center of His will. Many of us think that God's will is a very extremely narrow thing. It's one thing. You're either in it or you're not in it. You're either living it or you're not living it. You're either in the middle of it or you're nowhere near it. We spend so much time trying to figure out what the will of God is that sometimes I think we miss the will of God. Because we're bugging up. People lose sleep over it. People's faith are challenged by it. People's courage is, is a compromise because they think they have this very narrow view of God's will. Church, if God's will for us was a test, I would probably say that God's will for us is probably more multiple choice than true or false. It's just what I believe. It's what I've experienced. God's will for you and me is more multiple choice than true or false. Before you get on me, I want you to think about this. We tend to think in terms of either, either or, this or that, black and white, yes or no, true or false. But the truth of the matter is, I think God is a whole lot more both and instead of either or. Now, church, I'm not 100% sure that God looks at us and says, Hey, I have got a perfect will for you. I've got one purpose for you in your life. I have one mission for you in your life. It's, it's perfect, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. You're going to have to guess what it is. You're going to have to figure out what it is on your own. And if you don't figure it out, then you're in disobedience. <laughs> Good luck. I don't think God does that. Because God is more concerned about me being where He wants me to be even more than I am. So the whole idea that God's will is, is black and white one way or the other as compared to this larger picture, I, I hope that that encourages you a little bit today. What if the will of God is more concerned about our attitude than the circumstances? Last week we talked about how we sometimes ask God to take away our problems. God to take care of our situations, take us out of a circumstance. And lots of times, God's using those problems, circumstances, and those situations to actually develop within us a maturity spiritually, a maturity emotionally, and a maturity uh, relationally. And so when we ask God to remove that thorn, we get mad because he didn't move it. But what God's saying is, dude, I've got that in your life for a reason. I, I'm using that for, for your good and for my glory. I'm using that to bless you. James says it like this. Oh, I'm not there yet. I'm sorry. Don't go there yet. 
Last week we talked about that. So how do we get that attitude that blessings stick to? How do we have a heart or a life that blessings will stick to? It's an attitude. That's the secret. It's an attitude. And I want to look just three simple points today on how do we develop that attitude that blessing sticks to. Number one, whatever you don't turn to praise will turn to pride. Whatever you don't turn to praise will turn to pride. James says this, James 1, 17, Every good and every perfect gift is from above. Comes down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. It's all from God. Even the things we don't classify as being a blessing, God is saying, I have sent that. Church, there's been times I've turned blessing into curses because I didn't steward them well. God put a blessing in my life, but because I didn't take care of it, it turned into a curse. There's also been times where what I think is a blessing, God has turned around. I'm sorry. Uh, there's other times I've I've thought what was a curse, God turns around and uses it as a blessing for me to grow, for me to mature, for me to be a better Christian. He will use these things to help us grow. James said it like this in James 1, 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face many trials of every kind because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance, uh, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature, so that you may com be complete lacking in nothing interesting story in the jewish talmud the talmud by the way was what was written whenever the jews would go into exile 587 bc when they went to uh when the temple was destroyed and they went to the captivity of the babylonians they were so scared of their traditions being lost because they were being scattered everywhere that they put all of their their teachings and all their traditions into uh, their oral traditions into a written mode and one of the stories in the Talmud talks about a time when King David uh, was, was king in the city of David. And there was a plague that came. I don't know what it was. It was some type of a plague. Let's call it a pandemic. But every day during this plague or this pandemic in this city, 100 people would die. Tuesday, 100 people died. Monday, 100 people died. Sunday, 100 people died. Man, this was going on. And, you know, this, this, doesn't, this is not good for the community. You know, this, that, that's not good for business. You know, we're losing 100 people a day. And so the, the rabbis got together and began to pray, and somebody felt like, okay, we're losing 100 people a day. Here's how we're going to do it. Um, we need to have everybody in this town thank God 100 times a day for what he's doing. We need to have our people thank God and praise God a hundred times a day. And so the Talmud says, uh, says this, that when they started praising God, thanking God 100 times a day, the, the plague stopped immediately. The pandemic stopped immediately. So in the observant Jewish mind, even to this day, they must thank God a hundred times a day. They bless him a hundred times a day. And that, that prayer starts off, Ruach Atah Adonai, blessed be the name of the Lord. Um, they thank God for everything. They thank God for salty food. They thank God for clothes, soap. They thank God for the big fish they caught. They thank God for the onion ring down the bottom of the fries. They, they don't miss an opportunity to thank God for, for something in their life. What's impressive is that when they thank God for the rain, they don't just say, God, thank you for the rain that refreshes the earth. They actually know how many drops of water go into a gallon of rain. By the way, it's 9,290, I'm sorry, 90,291. Drops of water in a gallon. 
of water. And they thank God for every drop of rain. Same, uh, same idea talking about, well, how do I thank God for all that much? In your body, every moment there are 37 sextillion different chemical reactions that occur. Whether it's have to do with your hormones or catalyzing of enzymes, or whether it's uh, digesting food or turning energy that had been stored into fat, into blood sugar. 37 sextillion chemical reactions in our body from moment to moment. Church, we have got at least 37 sextillion reasons to be thankful for God this morning in our lives. Let's bring this in a little bit closer. Um, why do the observant Jew thank God 100 times? Because of the 100 blessings every day that stop people from dying. An observant Jew will bless God a hundred times a day. If you're thinking, man, that's a lot of praise, and what's that look like, preach? Okay, if there's 16 waking hours in the day, and you're asleep eight, that means if you're going to praise God a hundred times a day, it means you thank Him every ten minutes for something. That means every ten minutes you thank Him. Well, what do I got to do for that, Mike? Well, you know, you, you, you use prayer to ask God for things. You can also use prayer to bless God. God, thank you for the meal. God, thank you for, the, thank you for, the, thank you for my shoes. You know, thank you for my shirt. Thank you for the hair that I once had. You can begin to thank God for every little thing in your life. And, and there's nothing too small. In fact, one of the sages had basically said, if you enjoy something or you receive pleasure from what God has given you and you have not thanked Him, then you've robbed Him. You've committed grand larceny. If you're uh, taking pleasure from this world, understand that we owe God a thank you. We use prayer when we need something, but prayer is also a way of giving thanks. When I was a kid, uh, the doctor gave, I, I, I didn't think he wrote, but two medicines. Dimetap, which was for allergies, and then this other medicine. If I had respiratory issues, he gave me this medicine. If I had a skin irritant or a skin infection, he would give me this medicine. If my acne broke out, he gave me this medicine. The medicine was tetracycline. Remember the tetracycline? When's the last time you got a prescription for tetracycline? Back in the day, Dr. Duran gave it to me every time I turned around. And when I outgrew him, I went to Dr. Sedlin. Every time I turned around, I was getting tetracycline. Back in the day, that was the original Z-Pack. All right? Now, about the only people who use tetracycline are the vets. Uh, still use it on dogs. But it didn't affect any of us, really, in a, in a bad way. It's all good. When you begin to praise God and thank God, I want you to understand something. Those thanks that you give to God is sort of like a Z-pack for your soul. I'm not telling you that it's going to solve all your problems. I'm not going to tell you that all your situations and circumstances are going to go away. I'm not going to tell you things will get better every night. But what I will tell you is this. You start praising God, things in your life will change. You start praising Him, things will change. Number two. Praise God for partial blessings. Praise God for partial blessings. Do you remember a miracle when Jesus touched a man's eye and the old boy didn't get completely healed? Now to me this is telling. Uh, because sometimes people say, well, you know, preach, you know, we pray and pray and pray and that person didn't get healed. Or we pray and pray and pray and that, that person didn't get fully restored. Well, that doesn't mean that God's not in it. Look at the story. It's there in Mark chapter 8, verse 22 through 26. When they arrived at Bethsaida, some people brought out a blind man to Jesus, and they begged Jesus to touch him. Lord, heal him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village and spat upon his eyes and laid his hands over them. 
Can you see anything now? Jesus asked him. Now, I would say the man's vision about now about 2100, which is, you know, that's pretty good. If you've been blind, 2100, I mean, you're not going to be able to drive without corrective lenses, but 2100 is still pretty good considering you were blind. And the man says, well, I see a little bit, but I'm assuming those are men, but they look like a tree because that's what a, I, I guess it's, it's big. So he didn't get all the way healed, but he was partially healed. Y'all, there's many of us that would have given up right there. Okay, I'll take this. Thank you. And would have been content with it. Some of us would have thought, well, why did you just let me get this much healing? I still have to have corrective lenses when I drive. Uh, things didn't turn out that well. So we won't praise God lots of times for partial blessing or partial miracle. Because we didn't get everything we wanted. When we look at verse 25. Jesus didn't give up. He said, well, let me pray again. Even Jesus had to pray twice for that healing. Then Jesus placed his hands over the man's eyes. What's that next word? Again. Jesus is praying again. The Son of God praying again. The one who created the universe praying again. And as the man stared intently, his sight was completely, not partially. It was partially. Now it's completely restored. He saw everything clearly drinking in the sight surrounding him. Church, it's when our miracle or our blessings are partial that we have to double down. You know, we get a little bit of release. That's when we double down in prayer and fasting. We get a little bit of, of comfort. That's when we double down with prayer and fasting. When God gives us a little bit of that blessing ahead of time, that's when we double down and we get serious about following God, loving God. That's when we get serious about our relationship with God. It doesn't have to happen when everything is answered. Man, you start getting some answered prayer. Even if it's a little at a time, you bless God for the partial blessing. It's when your miracle or blessing are partial when you have to double down. Let me tell you who's really good at this. Miss Suzanne Spindler. She has, trouble, she has trouble walking. She has a hard time seeing. She doesn't drive anymore. Recently lost her husband. And what Miss Suzanne could say is, I wonder why God doesn't heal me. I wonder why God doesn't make my legs strong and my gait steady. She doesn't say, I wonder why God doesn't restore my sight. I will tell you what this woman says. Instead of saying those things, she shares with her the partial miracles she's having. She'll say something like this. She says, preacher, I'm using this walker, but I thank God I can still walk. Or she says, hey, preach, I got another shot in my eye this week. I can't see very well, but at least I'm not blind. You see, she's praising God for the partial miracles. She's praising God for the partial blessings. And I guarantee you this church, there is one day soon where Miss Suzanne won't walk. She'll run. There's a day coming where she will have 20-20 vision and she'll see better than she ever has. But until that day comes, she'll thank God for the partial blessings that she has. That's one of the biggest secrets to getting the double blessing. Thirdly, and this sounds like something off of the Phantom Menace, but I'm going to unpack it for you. Your focus becomes your reality. Your focus becomes your reality. And that's very, very close to what Qui-Gon Jinn said in uh, the Phantom Menace. But I want you to understand something. Before Lucas got a hold of it, the Apostle Paul got a hold of it. I want to draw your attention to the book of Philippians, chapter 4. Don't fret or worry. Instead of, pray, instead of, instead of worrying, do what? Pray. 
Let your focus be on God. Let petitions and praise shape your worries into prayers. Letting God know your concerns. And before you know it, while you're praying and while you're focusing on God, before you know it, your reality changes. A sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of our lives. Summing it all up, friends, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. What you focus on determines your reality. Uh, a couple of decades ago, there was a study that was done with college students, and they presented two questions. They were trying to determine the level of happiness. And what they did is they presented this, this survey, this two-question survey. The first question was, how happy are you? And there was a Likert scale. And then they said, how many dates did you go on the last month? And they found at the end of those two questions that there was just a slight correlation between how people, uh, how happy people are and how often they date during the month. Slight correlation. Then they, then they flipped the positions of those two. The first question wasn't, are you happy or how happy are you? That was, how many times do you date in a month? And then, how happy are you? Well, by just flipping those two questions, by putting the dating question on top, they, they were already happy, all depending on whether they dated or a lot or not, but they were able to, to focus in on that question. Happiness, well, that's kind of subjective. I know exactly how much I date. I know exactly who, who I'm seeing. That was, that was the, the idea there. What they found out is simply by changing those two questions around, somehow there was already this strong correlation. Psychologists call that the focus effect. The sequence of the questions made the students focus on their dating status. And the focus was the secret of the correlation factor. They focused in on the dating, not the happiness. Preacher, what do you mean? Help me understand that a little bit more. I will. There was also a survey done by Northwestern University. Uh, Medvik was the professor's name who did it. She did, a sur uh, she did a study looking at silver and bronze medalists. And she wanted to determine which of those medalists were the happiest. Now, if you were here last night, please do not answer this. Uh, which do you think was happiest, the silver medalist or the bronze medalist? Bronze? It is. The reason why is because if the person who won the gold medal, I'm sorry, the person who won the silver medal, they might have lost it by one one hundredth of a second. And what they, what they do is they think, Man, I missed the gold by that much. Oh, man, if I just would have been a, a little bit quicker, I, I would have got it. If I would have been a little bit faster, man, I would have got it. If that person would have slowed down a little bit, man, I, I'd have the gold. And the person who got the bronze, this is what they're thinking. Man, if I would have been one one-hundredth of a second slower, I wouldn't have been on the platform at all. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have got anything. And so the person who got the bronze was happier because... She knew how blessed she was to be on the platform. She knows that she almost didn't make it. Psychiatrists and psychologists call that counterfactual. There's an upward counterfactualness and there is a downward counterfactualness. Upward counterfactual is the silver winner. 
if I would have only been stronger, if I would have only been more accurate, if I would have only ran faster, if I would have only trained harder, if I would have only been thinner, if I would have only done this, then I really could have got something. Those people stay frustrated. If my boat was only a little bit bigger, if my house was a little bit bigger, if I was a little bit thinner, I would be happier. If I made a little bit more money, when we are upward counterfactual, we're always wanting more. If we're downward counterfactual, we'll think, well, you know what? I know people who don't have a boat that want one. Or, I know people who, who don't have enough to eat. At least I've got food to eat. You always realize things could be worse. You always realize things could be way out of focus. And instead, you thank God for what you have. Let's go back to Philippians 4, and then we're gonna, I'm, I'm on the downwards. I'm, on the, I'm downhill on this. Summing it all up, my friends, I'll say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true and noble and reputable, authentic, compelling, authentic, gracious. The best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. Church, joy, is, joy doesn't come by getting what you want. Joy comes by appreciating what you have. In Philippians 4.11, the apostle says, I have learned how to be content, whatever the circumstances. That's an amazing verse, but can I tell you where he wrote that from? He wrote that from jail. He wrote that from prison. Y'all, if you can say and write in a letter, I just couldn't be happier than what I am right now. From jail? Dude, that person had a rock-solid relationship with God. He's in the worst possible hellhole he probably could have been in, and he says, well, I praise the God! I bless the name of the Lord. Church, if our satellite dish goes off in the middle of the U.S. Open, we get upset. God, how could you do this to me? Stupid tennis game. But we get to the point where, you know, if everything just didn't right, God doesn't love us anymore. Hey, put on your big boy pants. Put on your big girl pants. Just because things in your life may not be going right, it doesn't mean God's wrong. In fact, if things aren't going right in your life, don't let that stop you from worshiping the things that are right about God. Amen. He's good all the time, and all the time God is good. He wants to bless your socks off. He wants you to prosper, and He has a plan for your life. Church, I said it last week. Having blessing in your life doesn't mean you don't have any problems. You ever see those stickers that says, too blessed to be stressed? Those things have always made me feel guilty. Because I don't know about you, I get stressed. And just because I'm stressed, does that mean I'm not blessed? Absolutely not. Church, I'm going to tell you something. You can be blessed and stressed at the same time. You can be blessed and stressed all at the same time. At the end of the day, there are two ways to process the things that happen to you, and it's a focus issue. Either your theology conform to your reality, or your reality conform to your theology. And the truth of the matter is, your theology says that you have a God that will never leave you. Your theology says that you have a God that will never abandon you. You have a theology that says that God will never let a temptation come on you that you have to follow through on. You serve a God who says, you know what, you do have more than you can handle, but in your weakness, let my grace be sufficient for you. That's your theology. Now you make your reality form to theology. Don't make your theology form to the reality.
That's faith, man. And you're trusting God for that. No matter how bad your circumstances get, you are worth the cross to Jesus. Your sin was nailed to the cross. The cross, the curse of sin is broken. And according to Ephesians 1.3, every spiritual gift is yours now in Christ. You see, our reality check isn't our circumstances. Our reality check is the character of God. Our reality, is not, uh, our reality check is not what we're going through. Our reality check is that God is good all the time. I love what uh, Psalm 84.11 says. No good thing will God withhold from those who do what? Lord, I'm going to find your hand in my life. Let me tell you something, church. If you're looking for reason to complain, you will always find it. Work, home, church. If you're looking for a reason to complain, you'll always find it. But if you're looking for a reason to praise God, you'll also find that too. You'll also find reason to give Him praise. So that whole idea of praising God a hundred times a day, once every ten minutes, that's definitely not out of, out of reach. Okay, I told you when we get to the end of the message, and I've asked you to be thinking what you can thank God for. The last time I checked, we enter His gates with thanksgiving in our hearts. You don't even get the front door without the attitude that allows blessing to stick to it. That feeling you have right now is a sense, that's community. That feeling you have right now is familyship. That feeling you have right now is exactly the reason why the church was established. So we would be family. So we would be one as he and the father are one. What you're experiencing right now doesn't happen at a lot of churches. You are blessed to be in that right now. Lord God, I thank you for making us family. And Lord, we didn't choose one another. You chose each and every single one of us. We didn't choose you. You chose us. So God, thank you for your choice of putting this together in this forever family. Your family. Lord God, I pray that you would challenge our hearts to thank you every single day, more than what we have been in the past. Father, create within us a heart that blessings stick to. Create within us a heart, Lord. Create within us a heart that sees your hand. Father, I pray that you would bless us and keep us. That your face would shine upon us and be gracious to us. That you would lift your countenance upon us and give us peace. And we ask this all in the name of the Prince of Peace. Yahshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, bring your shalom. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And the church said? Amen. Amen. God bless you. See you Wednesday night from 5 to 6. We have a meal. 6 o'clock we'll be in Connect Group. Love to have you. Thank you for being here.